And now, If Then Else with T.C. Vaughn. Welcome to If Then Else. I'm T.C. Vaughn. Thanks for joining our new series on the secret of being else. It's for you, the adventurers and the discoverers. Else is what happens when you head off-roading in life. Look for a new podcast episode every Tuesday. We'll explore things from starting companies to writing novels, being a rock star to discovering a new science, making art to making a deal. The truth about fear, boldness, how to get out of your own way and start something extraordinary. Join the conversation. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and Facebook at LiveHouse. Since every great series has a great sponsor, meet ours, Breakaway Matcha. Guests of the show and I love sipping on this extraordinary tea, a little liquid meditation to get our zen on. The power of Breakaway and ultra-premium matcha brings awareness and calm to get the mind flowing. Learn more and sign up for our mailing list at ifthenelse.com for special offers and become part of the tribe of else. A little about this episode. I get to kick off this entire series with the wonderful Chris Beatty, a writing ninja. Chris is a surprising entrepreneur and founder of National Novel Writing Month, better known as NaNoWriMo. He discovered the huge benefits of writing alone together, the largest creative writing project in the world. This past year, during NaNoWriMo, over 400,000 novels were written in the month of November. I discovered Chris while taking his high-velocity writing class at Stanford. I wanted to expand my skills at making things up, and Chris became my wizard. If you ever want to tell stories better, or maybe even take on the grand challenge of writing a novel in a month like I did, you'll love Chris. Enjoy the conversation. Some people become entrepreneurs because they go to B-school and set out to be an entrepreneur, and they have a grand plan about how they're going to change the world. And some people are accidental entrepreneurs, and it happens to them, and the world changes whether they like it or not. And Chris is one of those. Chris, welcome. Hi, Tara. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about how you became a accidental entrepreneur. Really, I think my uh, accidental entrepreneurialism started when I was very small and discovered that you could resell candy and gum, individual pieces that you'd bought in the pack for a tremendous markup to elementary school students. And that was a real eureka moment for me. In fact, especially this was the era of liquid-filled bubble gum. I don't know if you remember Mm, that. Yeah. Top dollar kids will pay for that, especially ones that have expensive orthodontics that prohibit them from actually purchasing it in view of their parents. I think the candy and gum racket was a real, my sort of inroad into entrepreneurialism. And I think from there, I think I'd always just sort of loved this idea of making things or providing things and and selling them. And what kind of took like the the next big step for me, I think, is starting this thing called National Novel Writing Month, where I kind of convinced a small over-caffeinated group of my friends to write novels in a month back in 1999. And that experience was completely life-changing for me, having always loved books and writing, but never really given it a shot. And I think that the process of writing this book in a month with this group of friends sort of ended up sending me on this completely unexpected and very accidental odyssey that really changed every aspect of my life and really taught me a lot about starting things and keeping things running and uh, trying and failing and, and learning and moving forward. So I think 
National Novel Writing Month or NaNoWriMo was really kind of where I really learned about being an entrepreneur and what it means to get something off the ground and to, to try to keep running after it as it grows. So how did that happen exactly? So I was 26 and I was living in the Bay Area and this was like internet 1.0. So this was like crazy time, right? Boom time. Every, every idea is golden. Um, a little like now. A little like now. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was five years out of college and I felt like I was in my mid twenties, like surely something dramatic should have happened, you know, and it hadn't. I was working at a website for business travelers and the people were great. The job was doable, but it wasn't quite this like, I don't know, life felt like it hadn't started yet. I kind of wanted to try something big. I wanted to, you know, get in over my head on something. And growing up an only child, I had always just loved books and reading. Those were really my siblings, you know, just I spent so much time reading. My parents were really wonderfully encouraging. And anytime we went to the bookstore, I could get as many books as I wanted, you know, which was like ultimately financially ruinous for my family. We were destitute most of my childhood <laughs> because of the book budget, but it was worth it, you know. And there were no libraries in there town. There were no we, libraries in Prairie Kansas were forbidden. Oh, I see. Yeah. Mm. Actually, we went to the library too, which were in the libraries in Johnson County, Johnson County Public Library to any librarians listening to this know how great the libraries there were. So we also I, went to I the can library. I see why the, the selling the gum to get books Deal Somebody had to make the yeah. money. Yeah, Somebody exactly. Had to buy those books. Exactly. Yeah. So when I kind of thought about what is it that I wanted to try, this idea of writing a book was the first thing that came to mind. And but I was immediately terrified because I didn't know how to write a book, and I had read my whole life, and so had a lot of expectations around what happens when you write books. And so I immediately conceived of this idea of like, well, what if the challenge was to write it in thirty days? And suddenly. The expectations were lowered. The pressure was off because that meant that we were going to write bad books. I was going to write a bad book in 30 days. And that somehow had this real charm to it where I was like, there's no failing when you set out to write a bad book. You know, it's like if you do fail, then that's actually kind of an amazing thing because that means you wrote a reasonably unhorrible book. So that that was exciting. And But the next step for me was I knew I needed to drag some friends into this with me because I am such a procrastinator and so good at quitting projects that do not have any like – peer pressure built around them. <laughs> so um, so I sent out this email where I kind of proclaimed that July, the first year was July, was going to be uh, national, write a novel in a month, month. And there was already the no plot, no problem was uh, we were flying the banner. And I wrote this email as if this were like a real thing that was really happening that was maybe like backed by the federal government or something that like, this is it. It's National Novel Writing Month. We're all doing this. Who's in? And uh, 20 people ended up saying, all right, let's do this. And these weren't writers. Like for the most part, these were readers. They loved reading books, but very few of us had any experience trying to write them. I think it's also like crossing the street in Manhattan. If you build enough people up on the corner and you edge out together, you'll exactly. make it across, right? You need the posse to yeah. kind of make it through the, the dangerous. Yeah. Zone. Well, I think with huge creative undertakings – it's really hard to know how to start. It's really easy to, you know, because there's, you're really not getting paid for a lot of these things that you really want to do. And you instead you're focusing on other things that are either paying the bills or are helping your family move forward in life, you know, spending time with friends. There are a lot of reasons not to do your creative project. And so I think for me, having this group of friends built in made, made it doable. It was kind of accountable, accountability that, you know, we would get together after work and we would write in coffee shops and, I think that kind of camaraderie and companionship and maybe even a little bit of competition, you know, mm -hmm. where it sort of helped everybody stay on target. And even though our 
books, you know, definitely were not always good. They were often, I think, what, what you call bad. They were bad books was, I think, the industry term for what <laughs> we were writing most of the time. But I feel like that energy allowed us to kind of keep going. And, you know, the process with writing is you are constantly falling in and out of love with your book and constantly feeling like you're the best writer who's ever lived and the worst hack that's ever existed. And I feel like if you don't have somebody there to help reassure you that that's normal because they're going through it too, you take those low moments and kind of take it as a sign that you shouldn't be doing this, that, you know, novels are for somebody else to write. And I think just having this group of friends, you know, making writing a social activity ended up helping all of us get through it, but also really fall in love with it, you know, because we were there to commiserate when things weren't going well and there to celebrate when they were. And how many of you guys crossed the finish line the first time? Six of 21. Wow. Yeah. And the, the six actually ended up being the people that were getting together, you know, that we were in coffee shops together and celebrating the first National Novel Writing Month. Thank God it's over party took place on the floor of my living room. I bought a single bottle of champagne. It was a good time. And I realized kind of like if we can do this thing, really everybody can do this thing. And that was when the ball started getting rolling. And then you did it again. Then I got, did it again and put up a, kind of a reasonably competent website and 140 people took part and then put together an even more robustly, slightly competent website. And then 5,000 people took part that year. And that was the, kind of the year when all hell broke loose. So you saw the hockey stick, you know, the yeah. proverbial startup, whoa, the, how big can this thing get a hockey stick? Yeah. And I thought that we were seeing hockey stick at 140. I was like, that is the hockey <laughs> stick, my friend. It's all downhill from here. It's like, just <laughs> bask in this moment and savor it because you will never see 140 people doing this thing again. And this past year, how many people did it? Do you know? Uh, just over 400,000, I think, did it. Yeah. Kids, teens, adults, I think about 3.5 billion words of fiction, we have volunteer-run chapters in 500 cities and towns around the world. People are writing in about 30 languages. I hadn't even heard of it until this year, which means your market for where NaNoWriMo will go, I think, as more people hear about it, more people will do it. So Yeah, the Terra market was completely untapped. Totally we untapped. We yeah. I bet there are many more Terras out there. Yeah. You know, many, many more. Yeah. You turned it into an organization, so you were an accidental entrepreneur of a nonprofit, an NGO. Yeah. I mean, it started as a sole proprietorship, which was kind of just this the easiest business life form to take, right? Yep. You just go and file a few forms and pay whatever your 50 bucks or something and you get a bank account. And for me, I never had plans around making money for National Novel Writing Month. I really wanted to make sure that the event continued and I wanted to pay myself something so that I could afford to give up the freelancing for those couple months or what then became like six months and then eight months to make it a priority. But, you know, it was never the idea of getting wealthy or having an IPO. And I also really wanted to know that if at some point I was ready to step down, that it would continue. And that's where the 501c3 status came in. So after about six years of running National Novel Writing Month out of my living room with an able crew of contractors and volunteers, I set up a Nonprofit, and we got an office, which was amazing. I never dreamed we'd have an office. Then we had an employee that was also huge, an actual. That's a big deal. Employee. First employee, yeah. big deal. Other than the founder, because right. that doesn't really count. Yeah, and it was great, but that also became kind of its own world, where suddenly there's somebody that's dependent on this thing. Like it's not a lark anymore. You know, at that point, like health insurance is on the line, and that's a really important issue. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that also kind of 
changed my goals, you know, which was I really want to help inspire people to do more writing and be more creative and have fun, make friends. But I also want to take care of this group of people that are giving up a lot in order to help make this thing run. I encountered you and NaNoWriMo in this exploration of creativity. I think it's fascinating what you were able to do with writing as a platform that well before anybody else was really thinking about social media encouraging people or distributed platforms for engaging micro workers or other things, you guys had the intuition to take what you had in your living room of people helping each other, encouraging them along, mm -hmm. um, celebrating that starting back in 99, which was ancient times right. of yeah. technology, yeah. like smoke signals, whatever, yeah. and evolved something really amazing. What is it that you learned? How did you sort of come about going, wow, if we really do this digitally at a distance and really help cheer people on and get them to meet each other and change how that works? How did that happen? I mean, it really was a complete accident and it was just kind of based on seeing the positive effect of transforming this thing that used to be a very isolated kind of cloistered activity into something that was more like a literary block party, you know, and I think seeing the power of that both on a creative level, but also on a community level, you know, it's the, the people that met through NaNoWriMo write-ins, you know, we've had a bunch of people who've gotten married. There are like NaNoWriMo babies out in the world. Like it's pretty great, but you know, also just people who are now friends and critique partners and all that stuff and seeing that endure beyond November, I think to me, it was just one of those ideas that, and I haven't really been a part of many of these that just took off. And all I really had to do was try to chase after it and try to keep the weather off of it. That thing was like snowballing and going. And there was not much that I could have done, I think, to like derail it. So I feel like I was the, a lucky conduit to this <laughs> idea that turned out to be useful to me, but also useful to a lot of other people. I think there is nothing more dangerous than a good idea. And yeah. this was clearly <laughs> a good idea. The way I look at it ultimately is you both created the platform for helping people tell stories and really learn the power of a story. And really, society is nothing but a bunch of stories strung together, whether they're art or science or law or other things. It makes people nervous. So having sat in your workshops and classes, you really have perfected the art of helping people overcome their fear of telling stories. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that? How do you think about engaging them that way? I just feel like we look back at ourselves as, as children. All we did was make stuff, right? We just drew like there was no moment where we were like, I'm not sure I'm really qualified to be whatever, you know, building this castle or fort or, oh, cats. I'm not that good at drawing cats. As a kid, you're just like, I'm amazing at drawing everything. Give me a crayon. Give me a marker. I'm good. Thanks. You know, and I just feel like that spirit there is still in all of us as adults. But I think as adults, we get into this whole idea of career. And I think that the idea of career is a beautiful thing because I think that you can pick something that you love and really explore it deeply. But then the problem is I feel like you get good at something and that I think can be really detrimental to all those other sides of yourself that are still in you. You know, that cat drawing person is still in there, even if that's not really what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, I think for me, National Novel Writing Month was this idea that whatever else is going on in our lives and wherever else we're putting our, our energies, that we will have 30 days to get together and make a beautiful mess again, you know, to really like get in over our heads to, to sort of to get out of our comfort zone. And it just does so many good things to sort of reconnect with that creative impulse. And it doesn't necessarily 
result in good books. Like I think for some people, we've had amazing books come out of National Novel Writing Month. You know, so many authors wrote books that maybe they wouldn't have if they didn't have that encouragement. But I think for me, it really, it starts with a book, but where it goes from there is the more interesting thing. It's this idea of sort of just reconnecting with that part of yourself that was a little more fearless, that was a little more bold, that was just really loved just kind of diving into something. And that's within all of us, you know, and I, and I believe that so much because I wrote a book that I didn't know was in me back in 1999 and, and I did it again the next year and watched friends do it. And just seeing that light bulb go on, you know, it's like once you do that, you start to ask, you know, what else is in me? What else is in there that I didn't know about? And it, it's sort of like this door opens and it stays open for the rest of your life. And the mechanics behind that door opening, really all it is is a deadline and a little bit of encouragement. And miracles happen from there. And I, having seen that, it's like I just can't not try, proselytize and try to get other people to do it. So you, in these Stanford classes that you've been a part of, like that's what I'm doing is I'm just basically like, this thing is amazing. You are amazing. Let's do amazing things. This is great. This is great. It's like any good startup CEO yeah. <laughs> ultimately has to feel that way. But in the first workshop I took with you, you had us build our inner critic out of clay. And then you took him and you locked him in a suitcase and ran away with him. Yeah. And you never came back for I years. never got mine back. <laughs> so I am inner critic free. <laughs> or at least I like to think so. It's a great party trick and it's pretty amazing how effective it is. What does that do for people? What goes on there? I feel like the inner critic for a lot of writers is the enemy to finishing something. The inner critic is just that voice that says – you're not good enough to be doing this. You're making mistakes. This is embarrassing. You're an embarrassment. And I feel like there is a time when that inner critic is so useful. And that is the time when you're revising something, right? When you're kind of honing something that you've already made. But the problem is if we bring that voice into fresh, new, creative ideas that we're just starting to explore, it's really going to second guess everything right out of existence, right? It will take something that could have been beautiful and ask is this good enough? There's probably a better way to do this. And I feel like at that point, that's when creative paralysis sets in, where you can try forever to get it right on the first go-round. You never will, right? And you'll never finish anything. And and I think one of the great things about National Novel Writing Month is over time is I've gotten to meet so many great authors. And that story of starting with this wildly imperfect first draft is common to almost everybody. You know, all these books that we love that inspired us to write started out as like deeply horrible, embarrassing, awkward. You know, the characters are flat. The, 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 you know, the dialogue is almost unreadable and you have to start there. There's no way to start on a second draft. Like everybody tries. No, nobody gets there. Right. And it will kill you. The attempt will kill you eventually. So when it comes to sort of encouraging creativity, this idea, I think, people bring this fear to the process, which is that I'm not good enough and that this, whatever I'm doing now is going to prove that I'm not good enough, right? So if you're looking at whatever this nice, simple thing you're making is as a complete referendum on your character and your future as a creative person, of course it's going to end up, not only is it not going to be something that's good or inspiring or interesting, you're going to be miserable the whole time you're making it. So with the inner critic, what I wanted to do is kind of just physically excise that awful monster from students for at least for a week and literally lock them up so that they could have kind of a week to actually make something, you know, to focus on building without tearing down, to just, you know, 
put something out there and see how it goes. You wisely just didn't come back to the second class. That's <laughs> that's how inspiring the workshop was that you missed half of it. But then I came back for <laughs> 10 weeks. That's true. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I think you were out of the country, I too. Was, I was good, in Wales. I was far, reason. far away. Yeah. But it was so excited that I signed up to, to come back and actually write a novel. So yeah. that, that I get some extra credit yeah. for that. So in that part of it, you, in some ways, set a lot of us free by coming up with this notion of plotters versus pantsers. Because pantsers are a little ashamed of not being a plotter most of the time. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Like, where did you get this language from and what does it mean to you? Yeah. So in fiction writing, a plotter is somebody that you know, spends a fair amount of time before actually putting words on the page, figuring out what's going to happen. You know, could do an, a story outline or maybe character studies where you figure out what their nervous tics are and how they dress and who they loved when they were 16 and all that stuff. And those people tend to kind of go into a story knowing either the big turning points of the story or every single detail of every scene. And then pantsers are people who write by the seat of their pants. And these are people that just sort of wing it. They improvise their stories. They get surprised by turns of event. They just kind of follow tangents. And both of those, I think, are amazing ways to write. And I've kind of experimented with both of them. And I think it comes down to sort of the way your your brain works. You know, some people can be more spontaneous and free when they have that outline. But some of us can just sort of dive into this blank page with whatever, just, you know, a change of underwear and a bottle of water and we're good to go, you know? And that's a kind of exhilarating process and, and one that if you have been a planner, I really encourage people to try, but I also encourage pantsers to to give plotting a try because I think it really does take experimentation to figure out what works best for you. It seemed to me, observing a number of people in the class, that they both end up meeting in the middle yeah. because eventually you need a plot. Otherwise, well, you could go for the sort of modern art style, but the story falls apart. Or eventually you need to be free enough to see what your characters are going to tell you. And right. I was surprised at these people who started showing up telling me what they wanted. Yeah. How does that happen? Does that happen to everybody? It's weird. I had that same question. You know, I, I had really just thought that was something that happened to, you know, quote unquote novelists, this, this moment when the characters come alive and start directing the story. And so I think when it happened that first year to all of us who started writing and just kept writing, it was kind of a revelation and it felt so good where I was just like, how do I make this happen again? You know, I, I, I want this to happen. I think that that's one of the great things about sustained creativity is you sort of push beyond this. At first, it feels kind of uncomfortable and artificial and kind of blocky and weird. And then I think you start losing yourself in it. And and I just, I do love that moment. I, to me, November is so full of serendipity and surprises and me, you know, seeing a tattoo on a barista at Starbucks and adding that to my novel. And then that leads to kind of some unexpected places. And I just feel like our imaginations are are just so vast and we just tap into such a tiny part of it in our day-to-day life. And again, that's where something like fiction or painting or however you want to express it, I just feel like it's just really nice to sort of reopen that part of ourselves. And to me, the key, whatever you're going to do, though, is to give yourself this magic recipe of the the deadline and the community, because that, I think, is how we will make time to sort of see something through. And everybody who tackles National Novel Writing Month who writes a word to me is a winner. The goal is 50,000 words. We have a lot of people who write 20,000 words who say, oh, I'm a NaNoWriMo failure. And there's kind of a lot of shame around that. And I'm just like, that's ridiculous. You know, 20,000 words is more than most people 
right? In a year or a lifetime even. That's a lot of words. The goal, I think, is really just to have that experience where you do have, where the electricity starts kind of flowing and those channels reopen. And, and I think a lot of people, they start something in November and it kind of becomes this year round project. It may not be that novel, but it may be a, maybe a nonfiction project based around that. It may be a business that they've always wanted to start. It may be violin lessons or there's something in that richness of experience that kind of opens your eyes to a little bit of that magic that's around us. I think it's really surprising. I've never had numbers on a spreadsheet jump up and tell me what they wanted or a line of code saying, go kill that one. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> they, they should good. sometimes, <laughs> I think, but you know, they don't. I think it's fascinating. Many people think that being creative requires the appearance of a muse or mm -hmm. they wait for something to come. But I think in the NaNoWriMo process, what you have been able to do is to drive it through word count. Right. If there is a muse, it's enabled by that. Absolutely. So how did you guys end up coming to this word count or like using that as your force of a momentum? Well, I think that first year, everybody wanted to know when they could stop writing and call themselves a winner. That was a very important metric, right? And so... Because if you have National Novel Writing Month, but anybody can have any length of novel, it's tough. I think there's a benefit in having everybody kind of running the same. Otherwise, a poem is race. a exactly, novel. Exactly, yeah. And then you get really grumpy because yeah. somebody just said they wrote a novel. Mm. So I looked at my bookshelf, and I looked for the absolute shortest novel that could still be legitimately considered a novel. So I had a copy of Brave New World, and I looked at that and sort of did a word count on it. And I kind of came up with this 50,000-word figure, not knowing if it was going to work. It may have been a disaster. But it ended up kind of holding pretty well, where that's 1,667 words a day. It's challenging, but it's doable. And the important thing is it's doable for busy people. And I really wanted to make sure that all of us, we have this phrase like, I'm crazy busy. And we have this vision that, that creativity is going to happen when things calm down. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, now is just such a busy time and I have, you know, whatever, I just had a baby or I'm starting this new job or, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of a loved one who's ill. And I just feel like you can't put your creative self on pause while you wait for this, like the miraculous <laughs> alignment of all forces. Because, uh, you know, what happens is you end up retiring thinking, okay, I'm going to do it in retirement. And you're just as busy in retirement as you were when you were working. Y you will never have time to write a novel, but you can make time to write a novel. And I think having a number attached to that 50,000 words in this case is just really useful because you you know how long each session can be, and then you know when you can put the book away for the day, you know, because the other thing that happens, I think, is it's easy to get burned out if you say, oh, God, I've fallen behind, so today I'm gonna, I need to write 12,000 words or I'm going to fall out of it. It really is these small daily steps that end up kind of opening the door to bigger creative breakthroughs. And if you're just sort of procrastinating and then diving back in or parachuting into your story and kind of trying to reacquaint yourself with, oh, where am I and who are these people? It's just so much harder. And there's a real ease, I think, that comes with having this daily visit, but also knowing how long that daily visit can be so that you know when you can go and hang out with your friends again or see your baby, you know, the, the baby loves you. It's great to see the baby. You should see the baby, but <laughs> not until you get your word count. Get the word count done. <laughs> One of the most fascinating things I learned from the process was writing alone together in person or at a distance, as we did sometimes using the internet, how effective that is at helping you get more words. Yeah. Like, 
That's miraculous. Who it, would have ever thought that? Yeah, it's really interesting. So in National Novel Writing Month write-in, so we have these kind of volunteer-run get-togethers. You know, most in the English-speaking world, at least most cities and towns will have one most nights in November in a library or a cafe, and people go to these. And some people have kind of have made great friendships through these, but a lot of people just show up with their laptops, put in their headphones, and don't talk to anybody. But the experience of just being in a room and seeing people working on the same kind of project you are is so comforting and so reassuring, but also so, I think there's, it's like you can tap into this pool of energy that you wouldn't have, or I wouldn't have if I were home alone, you know, where all the distractions loom, you know, I think it's almost the sound, like the sound of other people typing. I'm just like, I, I need to make more words. I, do you hear that? It's the, it's the sound, you know? And then I'm like, I will type too. I'm making typing noises. But then somehow it's like, okay, now you're getting, but you're writing sentences. And then those sentences are turning into paragraphs and those paragraphs are turning into pages. And I just feel like th there is just something that you really get by, by having this, that, how did you say it? This sort of alone. Being alone together. Alone together. Yeah. yeah I think it was surprising to me that Everybody thinks of writing as a sort of solitary pursuit or, yeah. you know, go to the cabin in the woods and be by yourself until you're so bored you invent people to be with. But being together and sitting in these rooms for an hour at a time or however long it was really propels the story, even though you have no idea what the other stories in the room are. Yeah. You're just galloping along with them. Yeah. It's really fun. It feels great. Yeah. I remember that first year we did it. And I would look across at my friend Tim, who hates writing, hates writing. It's like his least favorite thing, but he loves, like, endurance challenges. And so that's how he signed up for a national novel writing. But he ended up doing it and winning five years in a row after that. But he was just cracking, like, tears are pouring down his face as he's writing because something has happened with his character. And it's so wonderful to just kind of have these people who can relate, you know, where – you're sort of – just the weirdest things are going on in, in your book where it's like, well, she just married the hot dog vendor. And you're just like, I didn't even know she knew the hot dog vendor. You know, it's, it's just awesome. And there's really – it's nice to have people who can understand sort of why that's interesting. Um, yeah, where did, where did it come from? Yeah. How did that happen? And as you said, your power of observation becomes very acute during yeah. this period that suddenly everything is – a possible piece for those words that yeah. you have to get done. That yeah. Day. You start listening to other people's conversations, you know, auditioning them for possible kidnapping in your novel. Mm -hmm. And I think you also just start seeing details and shadings. And I don't know, you just, there's something about it that I just really, I do feel like it's a little bit of an awakening. It's this idea that you just get to step out of your normal life for 30 days. And that just feels great, I think, especially for people who, who really are crazy busy. I mean, legitimately, we all have too much going on in our lives. And so it is nice to sort of have this, this month of literary abandon. You know, we've been on this series exploring fear and boldness and the kinds of things that it takes to lead a creative life, to have a creative life. And kind of the meta conversation about the writing the novel, fear and boldness need to come out of the pen or on the keyboard because you're constantly trying to take your protagonist through these experiences. And it turns out that it's pretty hard to strike fear into your protagonist or kill off people they love. And you have to encourage people through this. So how do you start to see people's fears or how do you sort of help them not only the fear of writing, but actually the fear of all the emotions that come with 
exploring that with their characters. Yeah, I mean, it, it really can be hard. You identify with these characters, and I think there's a temptation, too, when you, usually in week one of National Novel Writing Month, that's like the high point because you've you've invented some characters, things are going pretty well, they're saying things to each other, they're kind of charming or interesting or weird or evil. There's There's a lot of, like, good things, and nothing has to really happen beyond that in week one. It's all about kind of setting the world, you know, it's uh, opening day in your in novel land. And I think the hard part comes around week two when all of the momentum kind of starts to drift and the novelty wears off and you realize like if you're going to spend another 40,000 words with these people, something has to happen. And I think the real fear is that you're going to take the wrong step. That it's, it started out so beautifully. These people are wonderful and there's like, it's perfect. It's great. And I think some people end up writing a full 50,000 words where people just sort of are drinking coffee and looking out the window and having thoughts about their childhood and then drinking more coffee. And, and I feel like if you're, if that's meaningful to you, then that's a huge success. Great. You did it. The exciting thing for me is getting caught up in sort of this story and that involves breaking things, right? And hurting these people and figuring out what the thing that they can least live without is and taking that thing away from them. That I think tends to be where the gears of story start turning, but it is really hard, you know, and killing characters is a great example where you know, every year in National Novel Writing Month, you look on the forums and people just talk about with just utter sadness about the loss of these main characters, characters who died unexpectedly. And it really can be pretty traumatic. I've Definitely have laughed a lot and cried some in November. And it kind of there, and I'm the weird guy crying alone in the coffee shop with my headphones in, you know? And it's like, I'm just like, how did my uncle die? And I didn't know this. How did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? At least me, I started reading novels, realizing how frequently the books I like do something dreadful to the protagonist yeah. in the first 10 pages. Yeah. <laughs> You're really like, oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That happened. How did that happen? You encourage something in November. You encourage people to give up a lot, like showering maybe or yeah. – yeah. um, Hygiene or, is you know, very expensive. Optional, yeah. totally uh-huh. optional yeah. or cooking uh-huh. or really putting up the flag saying, I'm going to live a creative life this month. Uh-huh. Beware. Yeah. You know, does that really help? Do you think it's important to announce that to the world because you're going to go internal for a while to do this? I do. I'm I, To me, I think uh, novel writing is as much like a task of like project management as it is creativity and inspiration. And part of the important thing, I think, is just setting up a space for yourself to write. And in a lot of cases, that involves talking with significant others and family members and letting them know, like, I'm going to do this thing and it's really important to me and I would love your help. And I, I feel like... A lot of aspiring writers, you know, their significant others or their family are used to this kind of like nagging novel guilt that comes from saying, this is, I'm going to do this and then not doing it, you know, in that kind of sense of like, you know, always people being afraid to ask how that, how's the novel going because the answer is really good. And I feel like it's really exciting to sort of compress all of this, the highs and lows of a first draft into a month, one personally, but two, I think you get this great kind of cheerleading section that kind of comes up where family or friends are really excited about the idea of like, I will make you dinner and I will bring you food or I will give you wrist massages or whatever. And I think that that's one of the real benefits of of announcing it is that it kind of, one, makes it real that you're really going to do this. But I think, two, it kind of helps get you that sense of support that's really important for it. Yeah, I think, I think in a lot of ways it's how they 
unathletic amongst us can climb Kilimanjaro for a month and we have a base camp at the ready and yeah. off we go and it's going to happen. It's it's a lot like a startup. I think you have to announce to the people around you, I'm going to do this crazy thing again. And, right. And <laughs> I don't I don't really know what's going to happen. It could fail miserably and I'll be a mess, but we'll, yeah. we'll do it anyway, right? Yeah. Let's, let's go for it. Well, I think also one of the benefits of telling people is that you get people who also join you on that journey up the mountain, right? We've That's seen right. Some unexpected people saying, oh, look, I want to do that too. And then at that point, you sort of have companionship and company. It's not just support. It's like people who are also riding with you. Yeah. And super, super helpful. So we were asking people, what are you afraid of? God, I'm afraid of so many things. I'm afraid of running out of coffee in the morning, which happened yesterday. Mm. I'm afraid of not doing good work. Like I'm such a perfectionist. And I think that's why National Novel Writing Month was so appealing to me. Because when it comes to like my own novel revisions, like I've worked for six, seven, eight years on novel revisions and just felt like ultimately they're just not good enough. You know, and it's like I, I have this sense that something really does need to be amazing before I want to share it. And I think that's why I so desperately need this idea of like a 30 day period where that inner critic goes away because I have that inner critic with me. It's a very like, sharp teeth, bad breath, looming on my shoulder a lot of the time. So I think one of my fears is just that I will never get a novel finished, you know, like, and I want to finish a book. I love, you know, I spend an hour every morning working on novel revision. I love that time, whatever comes of it. But I do, I hope that at some point, I mean, I've written 16 first drafts of different novels through National Novel (laughs) Writing Month. I would like, I'd like to be done with one and be like, here you go, world. Here it is. I hope you love the episode with Chris and exploring the entrepreneurial adventures in writing and other grand challenges. Chris and his enthusiasm made a huge difference for me, and I hope it does for you too. I got my novel done. Now on to editing. Let us know if it inspired you to get your writing on or join NaNoWriMo this year or something else. To get on our VIP list for some great specials and live events coming up from else, sign in at ifthenelse.com and become an insider. Special thanks for this episode go to Maddie Gaiman, our production assistant, and David White, who did the audio engineering. See you next time for a new adventure and else. TC out. <laughs>